Hello and welcome to episode six of Jobs to Journeys, a podcast about how people learn, grow, and find meaning in the workplace. My name is Gabe Gloga. Each week, I talk with my friend and co-host, Doug Weitz, about whatever topics we're wrestling with and try to help each other clarify these ideas and hopefully add a little knowledge and insight to the world of workplace learning. This week, we discuss the four lost ways of knowing. It's a wonderful framework from the brilliant mind of John Verveke. It helps us better discuss what it means to know something and how this framework can be used to reliably structure a powerful learning experience. In addition, we discuss how to develop your intuition, telling jokes at a funeral, the difference between landing a jet on an aircraft carrier and mastering pivot tables, kids who are bad at sarcasm, how life is just a collection of games, whether cursing is inherently wrong, surfing with your fears, and a simple way to instantly relay tons of information without actually stating it. This podcast is brought to you by Cultivate Me, which helps people and organizations use their everyday work as a platform for growth, both as professionals and as people. If you're curious about any of the ideas we discuss on the show, or you just want to connect, you can always send an email to hello at cultivateme.xyz. We'd love to hear from you. And now, on to the show. Hello, Doug. Hello, Gabe. I feel like I'm snuggling in for a bedtime story. <laughs> right. We both took a deep breath before I hit record. Uh, and it really felt like we were about to enter some sort of gauntlet. <laughs> I have my little mug of warm liquid here. You're wearing, I'm wearing a cardigan. A cardigan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all wrapped up, you know. I feel like the sleepy bear, the sleepy time bear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the T. Yeah, on the T. Yeah. <laughs> I know him well. It's well, a chilly just, fall day. There's frost I on the ground. I just had a spoonful of honey to, to coat my throat. So I feel like we've got everything we need to have a successful podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we even have a topic. Yeah. So um, tell me about this guy, not John Varvatos, the famous fashion designer. Definitely not. Very far from John Varvatos. Um, so a while ago, I started listening. So the guy's called John Verveke, and he's a professor of cognitive science out of the University of Toronto. He has a phenomenal... YouTube channel and a 51 series course oh called God. the meaning crisis, which I think I got about halfway through before life got in the way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, I mean, it's really profound and it, it makes me think of why I do this in the first place, why we do this, I think, frankly, um, and not to get too high altitude, but I think, if you look at all of the work that we've done, you know, with the Cultivate Me methodology and Iris and the consulting that we've done and the coaching that you do, I think what, what a lot of it comes down to, and we talk about, you know, turning jobs into journeys and helping people use their, 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 their everyday work as a platform for growth. I think what we're trying to do is help people find meaning in their work. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that comes up again and again and again. And it's not that everybody always uses the that phrase or that word meaning. But, you know, people are trying to make sure that the time that the 8, 10, 12 hours a day they spend working has some relationship to their own lives and isn't just like a slog that they do in order to make money so that they can go and live. Yeah, it's a third of my life. Why? Like, it should be meaningful. And that the M word is a, you know, it's a tricky word in the business world where you're, you know, effectively making legal contracts with people, right? About how much time you're going to give me and how much money I'm going to give you. Uh, I mean, that's oversimplified, but that's a lot of what it comes down to. So it's hard to say, like, I will help you find meaning in your life, you know? <laughs> in that contract. But at any rate, if you're interested in finding meaning in your work, uh, this is a pretty rich, um, you know, uh, asset to to dive into. Having said all that, what I want to talk about today is one part of that, uh, of that series. One of the big ideas that and frameworks that he lays out there, which is the four ways of knowing knowing Knowing. so knowing like like i know where my keys are well that is the question isn't it (laughs) not where your keys are i'm not sure i know where my you don't actually know where your keys are (laughs) so um like what does it mean to know something and i think that's even a bad question a better question is when do we use the word knowing and and to what purpose what are we trying to achieve when we use that word and so what does this have to do with learning at work um learning at work learning is ostensibly about knowing something i need you to know something you do not know it right now let me help you know it and i will construct an e-learning module <laughs> for you to click through uh no please don't do that um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on one second. Sorry, I feel like I'm jumping the gun here, but knowing, I, I don't know, it's rubbing me the wrong way. Like it's like, I, just because I know something doesn't mean I can actually do it. Is that addressed in here? Oh my God. <laughs> what a perfect setup, Doug. <laughs> Let's just get into it. Stop beating around the bush, Gabe, and say what's on your mind. Just say it. Propositional knowing, procedural knowing, perspectival knowing, and participatory knowing. So my hypothesis, and this is what we do on this podcast, right, is we come to things that we have a a dim apprehension of, and we hope to create uh, a better language uh, for it so that we can more accurately understand it and apply it in our world, right? So my hunch is that uh, the world of learning and development, the world of workplace learning, to some degree lacks the proper language for what we mean when we say learning or knowing. Mm -hmm. And so we trip over ourselves in an attempt to achieve these goals. And so I think this expanded language, these four Ps, these ways of knowing, will help not only us communicate more effectively, but I think when someone is sitting down to 
let's say, design a learning experience, to be very explicit about it, approaching these four ways of knowing in reverse order is a pretty reliable way to build a powerful experience. Let me unpack each of these briefly, and then we can dig into them. So propositional knowing is kind of like knowing facts. What's the capital of France? You know, Paris. Um, <clears throat> right. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought we were entering a test. <laughs> Thank God I knew. Um, so that's propositional knowing. Knowing propositions, facts. I think of as facts and information, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what are the prices of our products? What are the feature sets of our products? If you think about sales training, you know, yeah. um, if you think about compliance training, what is the policy and why has it been put in place? You know, um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's what I think people used to say, used to mean when they said, just go Google it. When Google was just about like finding facts. I, I want to know a fact that I don't know it. Go Google it. That's propositional knowledge, right? Um, and the more facts you, um, you collect, the more you build your sense of belief, right? These are the things I understand. These are the things which I know to be true. And therefore, I have a certain perspective on the world or I have certain beliefs as a result of that. Let's Wait. put it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. We can put a pin. I don't have to ask questions about this one. Well, that, I just, yeah. as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh man, that's a huge rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, so let's put a pin in that rabbit hole and go down it in a minute or two. Right. Cause I want to get through these other three that might help that make more sense. Right. Procedural knowing is knowing how to do something. And I think of this as um, knowledge of things which happen in a certain order. How to make coffee, right? Well, you get out the coffee filter and then you put it in the basket and then you get the coffee, you put the coffee in the coffee filter and then you pour the water, that, right? It's step one, step two, step three, step four. And this is in a sort of a simplistic sense, but we should, we should pick a few examples. So um, music is a big one for me. Um, uh, surfing is a big one for you, right? Uh, let's use those two. So propositional knowledge around music would be like, what is the circle of fifths? Which notes are in a C major scale? What is the dominant seventh of B flat? You know, like um, facts and figures. Procedural knowledge would be sort of, how do you play this particular melody? It's one note after another in a row. You have to use your fingers, if we're talking about a piano, right? Uh, you have to use certain fingers in order to make it sound a certain way, right? So it's finger two, three, one, two, three, four, five, right? Those are, you know, things that happen in a row. Right. And, and procedural knowledge allows you to develop skills. Um, I imagine surfing's the same way uh, in the sense that there's propositional knowledge about, all right, this is your surfboard. This is the front of the surfboard. This is the back of the surfboard. You put this thing around your ankle so you don't lose it when you wipe out. The idea is to go out and catch a wave. This is what a wave looks like. This is when it crests. That's all propositional knowledge. Yes. But um, what it feels like to catch that wave and get on the board and stand up and feel that balance, right? These are all things that you kind of experience and that happen in a row, that happen in a flow. Mm -hmm. And they represent that skill. You know a lot about surfing. Fine. Have you ever actually caught a wave? Right. Totally different way of knowing something book knowledge versus i don't know experiential knowledge right 
But procedural knowledge helps you develop skills. It's not just knowing about something, it's being able to do the thing. And so when workplace learning professionals talk about this, they often talk about application of knowledge, right? Um, the third is perspectival knowing. And this is understanding a situation and context and when it's appropriate to do the thing. So, you know, um, maybe you know how to tell a great joke, you know, uh, you, you know all the right words, you know the right timing, you know how to set up the punchline, but you're telling it at a funeral, right? <laughs> right? Not well, the right context. I'm thinking of kids. We talked about this recently, kids who um, are sort of experimenting with sarcasm, but are so bad at it that they just like make people feel bad about themselves. That's right. And it's just little assholes. You're like, no, 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 that's not. No, that's just mean. (laughs) That's it. So uh, terms that are helpful with this concept is um, the arena and the actor. Or I think of it as like the game. What game are you playing right now? And are you playing the same game as everyone else? Mm -hmm. Are you using the right, you know, think about this. I talk with my kids about this, right? It's like different social settings are kind of different games in a sense. There are certain rules about what you should and shouldn't do, you can and can't do based on social settings. And so you have to understand that. Perspectival knowing, and again, I, I am not an expert in these four ways of knowing, but they seem very relevant to what we talk about and what I do. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm happy if anyone's listening to this, uh, and, 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 and can correct me on any of the things that I'm saying, I'm certainly open to that, but I think, um, perspectival knowing is, is also being able to sort of walk a mile in someone's moccasins, as they say, to understand what it feels like to be in a certain situation. Um, I think this is a big part of what, like the diversity and inclusion, efforts are about uh, in the workplace, you know, is understanding how, you know, how someone feels, what's, what's their perspective compared to my perspective. So that's an important way of knowing. Um, I think this comes up a lot in manager training, manager development. That's a huge skill, a huge way of knowing that managers need to be much more sensitive to. Um, And then the last one is participatory knowing. And I am the least confident in this, but I think it means um, what it's like to be a part of something, to be a member of a group, to be on a team, to collaborate, to be in flow with something else. So if I, if I just zipped through these again with like a music uh, analogy, uh, and particularly, you know, jazz, which is kind of the music that I, that I know the best, um, and which I've, you know, I've been a, a part of, and I feel like I understand all these ways of knowing when it comes to that. Propositional knowing would be what I said earlier. It's like knowing your scales, knowing your chords, um, you know, knowing the, knowing the repertoire, <clears throat> facts and figures of jazz. Procedural knowing would be actually being able to play and improvise on those scales, on those chords, uh, on those on those songs. Right? Um, you can you can make music happen in time, in order. 
perspectival knowing would be like when is you know understanding the um what it means to be on the bandstand and and when you should play in a certain way versus when you should not you know um do you really want to slam the cymbal as hard as you can in the middle of that ballad <laughs> i don't know uh probably not you know um and then participatory knowing is is kind of what it feels like to be part of a band and to say I am a jazz musician I am a member of this community um I am uh I understand the bond between other musicians on the bandstand and the dynamics between uh those people uh when it's happening I know how to communicate with them in a sort of localized language that indicates I'm a member of this tribe uh so to speak uh, so, so anyway, I'll stop there. That's, that's a basic run through of the four types of knowing. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is, is sort of the, the like binary understanding or binary knowledge and kind of evolutionary or ongoing knowledge. And what I mean by that is like, you know, the capital of France is Paris, right? That is propositional it's a fact and there was a time when i didn't know it and then i knew it and now i will forever know it i mean i suppose i could forget but you know it's kind of like a light switch it's either on or it's off you either know it or you don't know it and it's very easy to kind of measure right um and a lot of you know a lot of the complaints about the school um experience you know the the middle school high school experience is that it's just all facts and like regurgitating facts is a is a phrase you hear a lot right, right? um a lot of that, workplace learning is the same yeah well i mean i think it's like that because it's much easier to measure binary binary knowledge right like i can ask you and you can either tell me or you can't and then i know that you know it or you don't right once you get beyond binary factual knowledge it becomes far harder to measure whether somebody knows something or not right and only increasingly uh harder and then the other one is so i feel like propositional is clearly binary would you agree with that yeah it's it's if if any of these could be binary propositional is the one that lends itself the best to that and then i you know the others are, are obviously much more interesting to me and probably to anybody um, because they are things, when I say evolutionary, I mean like you constantly have to relearn them or reassess in order to know them. So like, for instance, uh, perspectival, when you talk about situation and context, like before you tell the joke, you have to reassess, is this the right situation? Is this the right context? Right. And of course, as you get more and more practiced and better at it, you don't have to like explicitly stop and think those things out loud. Right. Um, but at first you do, and you, you always have to sort of like recalculate it. And that is, you know, much more taxing on your brain and much more, sophisticated and complex in exercise mm. you know and i think that's that's why it's a lot harder to measure right because you could you could somehow find a way to measure whether i've got perspectival knowledge on joke telling by assessing whether i tell a joke in the right situation and context once 
But maybe the next time I tell a joke, I tell it in the wrong situation, in the wrong context. And so how do you measure my not my perspectival knowledge of telling a joke unless you are measuring it over and over and over and over always? Yeah, I think of perspectival knowledge. I'm starting to think of perspectival knowledge. I don't want to say this as though I've been like pondering this for years as a as a a, a rule set. Mm or a collection of rule sets. Um, and as you go through life, you, you kind of collect these games, each which has their own set of rules, right? This is the game that I play when I'm interacting with my parents. This is the game that I play uh, when I'm in a classroom in school with a teacher. This is the game that I play with my friends. This is the game that I play when I'm at a funeral, right? Is And Every one of these games has a certain set of rules. So like, this is what you do. This is the point. These are the things that are off limits, right? Um, and so to your point, those, those rules, that set of rules are always kind of growing and expanding as you go throughout life. And you realize, ah, oh, there are more rules to this game than I thought. Or this rule that I thought was there, I was wrong about. Yeah, like cursing. I when I was an English teacher, I would always talk about cursing at some point because it would come up. And you know, what I used to like to say is like, there's nothing inherently wrong with cursing. It depends on the situation. You know, like you hang out with your buddies, you curse. You know, and it's fine because everybody's in on it, and you know, nobody's offended. But you don't curse in front of your grandma. You know, like that's not going to be the right situation. So it's not that cursing in and of itself is good or bad. It's situational. Um, but, but what also popped into my head is that like, it's practice, you know, it's a practice thing. Like, yes, the rules, like when you first start practicing telling a joke, you'll notice, ooh, there are different situations and different contexts where this may or may not be appropriate. But, and it seems like there are lots of situations and lots of contexts, but I think if you pay attention for a little while, you'll find that like, oh, there actually aren't that many. Like there are a dozen, right? And they're the same dozen that I'm always sort of coming in contact with. They're like so somber situations, right? not the right situation to tell a joke in. There are situations where there's, you know, uh, people are trying to make something happen and me telling a joke will kind of undermine the person's ability to make things happen. Um, there are situations where everyone's just hanging out, joking around and boom, that's a perfect situation to tell a joke, you know? Uh, I actually find the joke telling one is particularly interesting, I think, because sometimes a joke in the right, in the wrong moment is actually the perfect joke telling moment because it stands out because it's so wildly inappropriate. You know, it's or like it can cut through the tension, right? Like I, as soon as I said the example of telling a joke at a funeral, I could hear my, you know, I was thinking, actually, there could be a great time to tell a joke yes. at a funeral if it's done in the right way but again that's that perspectival knowledge right of actually you know knowing the rules of that game well enough to have the intuition to say uh you know a light joke right now is probably just what everyone needs yeah actually the, there's this gilbert godfrey documentary um 
where I guess he was like one of the first people or maybe the first person who publicly made a joke about 9-11 after 9-11. And it was like this revolutionary, like people were like crying in the audience, you know, tears of joy and sadness and everything because like everybody just needed a joke about it, you know? because everyone was so serious about it and it was super offensive in many ways, but like it, it worked, you know? Um, but I, I feel like knowing the subtleties of the game is all about um, experience, you know, like, like, I don't know if you ever saw that movie shine yeah. um, where one of the things he learns about playing Rachmaninoff on piano is like, you have to learn it so well that you can, forget it and he related that to sort of like being able to break the rules like you can break the rules once you know the rules so well that you understand kind of the rule makers perspective you know that there's a famous charlie parker quote is that first you have to learn the changes and then you have to forget them um, and it's that same way right you don't know how to break the rules until you really understand the rules and that actually gets us all the way back to dynamic quality versus static patterns of value right is mm. um <clears throat> is understanding when those static patterns of value are, are a little too constraining you know um but to just break things to break them that's right. not dynamic quality that's just that's just chaos uh that's just barbarism it's well, barbarism it's, and it's destructive to the people who have put in the effort to actually design rules around that's right it, who, who, who rely upon those rules, right? For yeah. any number of important things. So, so here's my hunch with this. How does this relate to learning at work, right? Um, I feel like when I sit down to design a learning experience, it would be fruitful for me to approach that experience with these ways of knowing in the reverse order of which I explained them. And I don't, I wanna be careful not to imply that these ways of knowing are somehow extensions of one another or are, are ordinal, you know, first there's this one and then this one has to follow that one. And this like, I, I don't know how these things emerge. I haven't thought about it enough. Um, and I certainly wouldn't propose that one is more important than the other uh, or something like that. Maybe they are. I'm just not there yet. Anywho, um, if I think about a course experience that I'm trying to create, manager development, or let me even make it simpler, uh, you know, like a one hour meetup <clears throat> on some particular topic. The first thing that I want to try to establish is how are we all related how do we share some common attribute or challenge right hey everybody you're all here because you have problem x mm. you're all here because you have to manage process y you're all here because you're interested in pivot tables right yeah well and and the other way to do it is to say why are you all here? 
<laughs> and sort of have them, you know, knowing that like they're all going to be there for relatively the same reasons. And they're sort of proving that by sharing, well, here's what I'm here for. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. And, and that's usually how I start my meetups, right? Because I don't I don't actually know what that common element is. I mean, I can assume that it has something to do with the topic of the meetup. That's why you showed up. But you could either propose it like I did, or you could explore and try to discover it like like you'd suggested, right? Let's talk about why we're here. I mean, that's one of my favorite questions. Like, why did you why did you decide to attend today? What are you hoping to get out of this, right? And people go around and they're like, aha, so the thing that most everyone seems to be really interested in here is X. And then everyone can look at each other with this sense of participatory knowing, right? Oh, okay. I, I, I know why we're all here. I'm, I'm, I'm in some way related to, or a part of this group. And I think that does a lot for psychological safety. Oh, for sure. And it also sets the stage for at the end, everybody feeling like they had a shared experience. Like that's right. Together, you know, that's right. And so then, you know, then the next, um, whatever the, the, the next context I try to set is context itself is that perspectival knowing of, um, Here's here is a specific situation that we are trying to solve for right now with this training experience, with this meetup conversation, right? Um, and setting that context does a lot of the learning for me because I think that's how humans naturally learn. We don't start by absorbing a bunch of facts and figures in abstraction and then trying to infer the context or apply them in some situation. What when I talk about natural learning, I'm talking about like babies, you know, who have no language, who have, you know, barely have their senses figured out. But what they do is they they look around at situations and contexts. And they collect these and then they abstract them from there, right? So I, I try to set the context to say, here's a specific challenge. You're trying to achieve X, right? You're in this situation. This is the outcome you want. Let's talk about how to get through that. And, and that puts a lot of knowledge on the table already. Yeah, I, I actually love the idea of thinking about it in terms of babies, right? Because babies are such a great example of, you know, these little characters who aren't going to know any facts, <laughs> right? They're not going to have any, any of that propositional knowledge. You can't say like, wait, before you crawl over there, that's a table, that's a lamp, that's a TV. You know, they're, they're going to be like, what? I don't even know the, I don't even know the word what, no less I have no use for these facts. You know what I mean? Like I need to crawl into that lamp and see it fall over. And then you say, whoops, you knocked over the lamp. And then I go, oh, okay. So the thing I knocked over is called a lamp. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, so you need some place to hang the facts. Yeah. And, and they knocked it over in a certain situation and they're aware of that consciously or otherwise, like they've, they've, their, their senses have picked up on, you know, is it light outside? Am I in the living room? Am I crawling or am I walking? Right. All those things come together. And then when the thing happens that the learning is about, all of that other stuff is neurologically attached to it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like trying to teach 
the alphabet to a baby. <laughs> you don't do that, right? First, right. you learn a bunch of words and you learn those words in a context. Apple. Right? That's right. You don't learn apple while you're walking on the sidewalk. You learn apple when there's apple on a spoon and it's being put into your mouth. <laughs> and so you inherently understand apple is food. Apple is mouth. Apple is hunger. Apple is taste. Nobody has to break all that down for you. It's embedded in that context. Yeah. You know, um, it's only later when we say, okay, now apple starts with ah. And when we want to make that sound, we draw this little squiggle and it looks like an A and that, you know, like you, you do the apps to propositional stuff later. Yeah. But anyway, start with participatory, find a way to get everybody feeling a sense of kinship or, or commonality with everyone else, increase that psychological safety, then go on to perspectival knowledge where you say, look, this is the situation and the context for which we are trying to solve with this new knowledge, right? And that brings a ton of extra propositional knowledge along with it that you don't even have to relay because it's implied in the context. Mm -hmm. And then you move on to procedural knowledge. Say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to build a pivot table. Watch what I do. I do this, and then 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 I do this, right? And then after they've seen all that, and maybe, maybe even after you've gotten them to do it, right? Then you say, okay, let's break down what just happened. And then people can start to sort it out and put it into all the little, you know, the bento box of their, of their mind um, uh, and, and relate it to other things. You can do that abstraction later. But when you start with like um, the history of pivot tables, it's like <laughs> the first thing out of your mouth, like nobody knows what you're talking about or why it doesn't relevant to them. And who's that guy over there? Is that, is that my boss's boss? Oh my God, I better watch what I say. And like, there's all this other stuff swirling around in the room that people are worried about. And you got to address that first. Yeah, I really, I, I feel like in the way you're describing this, you know, you would start with participatory to sort of set the stage and, you know, get everybody on the same page and make everybody feel some sort of kinship. You go down to perspectival and then down to procedural. And then there are some propositional, you know, there are some facts, but most of your time, you live in the middle, like you go back and forth from procedural to perspectival, back to procedural, back to perspectival, because in your pivot table example, I could imagine, okay, let me show you how to do this. Now you try to do this and I'll give you feedback. Now you try to do this on your own, but then there would also probably be a conversation of like, when might you do this? What situation, what context might you do this in? Oh, you have a great example of one. Let's try to go through the procedure again, the process again in, you know, through that lens of like boss comes over and says, please turn this into a pivot tape, you know, and, and that by going back and forth between procedural and perspectival, that's where it really, it's sort of like locks in because you're learning how to do the thing, but you're also understanding the context in which you might do the thing so that when that context appears in real life, you've already sort of had some experience and some practice. I mean, that's the essence of perspectival knowledge, right? Is knowing when to do the thing. And so you're, you're helping them recognize the triggers, if you will. Yep. That, I mean, if you get down to like the neuroscience of it, right? There's the neural pathways that are formed around a certain 
piece of procedural knowledge, let's say. Um, but those pathways, those procedural pathways have to be linked to perspectival pathways so that they can be triggered in the right, in the right context, in the right setting. Otherwise, you're going to tell that raunchy joke at a funeral, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love the raunchy joke at a funeral. It, it occurs to me also that this, this pathway of this order of, of, of these ways of knowing very much mirrors like the sales and marketing process as well. Hmm. Like I think one of the, if you think about an ongoing sales conversation that you would have with someone, the first thing you tend to try and establish is, are you this kind of person, right? What, what tribe are you a part of? What group are you a member of? And it could be any number of groups. You know, one person is part of many, many groups, right? Oh, you're a CEO, you're a founder, you're uh, a redhead, uh, uh, you, you know, you struggle with dieting, like what, whatever that, you know, but, <laughs> but you kind of establish that, like you're this kind of person, right? And I, okay, if you're this kind of person, do you ever find yourself in this sort of situation and you're frustrated by it? Oh, yes, that happened just last Tuesday, you know? Great. So I want to show you how to solve that situation. Oh, okay, I'm listening. And then they watch, you know, you watch them solve it. And this is the sales presentation or the marketing video or something like, oh my God, that looks amazing. How do I, great. Let me tell you the facts and figures of what this yeah, is yeah. and how much it costs and how to get it, where it, you know, but you don't start with that. Like, hey, can I tell you about Super Acme Double Plus, which is only $21.95? And you're like, who are you? Why do I care? Right. What does any of this have to do with me? Yeah. And is 21.95 a good deal? Is or that a total ripoff? I don't <laughs> yeah, know. that's right. I don't, I have no, right. Cause again, like the baby, not having any use for knowing what a lamp is, um, you need to have a place to hang those facts, that propositional knowledge. Absolutely. What, you know, what bucket in my mind should I put this information in? Yeah. <laughs> should I put it in the bucket of useful stuff that has to do with my work and an, and an urgent problem I'm trying to solve? Or should I put it in the junk mail bucket? Things I should ignore and I should block this email address, you know? Yeah. You know what example keeps popping into my head is um, like flying a jet like a, like a, and landing them on aircraft carriers. We talked about aircraft carriers a couple episodes ago. Only because it's like such an insanely dangerous thing to be able to do that I've always had trouble like wrapping my head around like, how do you do it the first time? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I get the idea of like knowing some facts, you know, like probably a lot of facts in order to have all the propositional knowledge you need. Like, you know how, um, you know, what the jet is made of and you know where to sit and you know where the button is to release the parachute or whatever, um, where the hook is, you know procedural i could understand like intellectually understanding the process of flying a jet of taking off of flying of landing but then and i could i could understand understanding the situation and context you might be in where you would do one thing versus another but to actually then take the leap and do it sort of baffles me you know when because it there's a big difference between learning how to do a make a pivot table and learning how to land a jet on an aircraft carrier. 
you know, like you can make lots of mistakes when learning how to make the pivot table that you can't make when you're landing the jet on the aircraft carrier. Nobody's going to die from your pivot table. Mm -hmm. They might complain that they feel like they're dying <laughs> when they look at your pivot table, but they're dying uh, of boredom, really. dying of boredom. <laughs> yes. So I don't know where to put that, but, but it, well, I, I, I kind of do. I mean, I think, I think you're talking about procedural knowledge and mastery and comfort levels. I, I don't know. Let me riff on this for a second. Cause you got my wheels turning. I think, you know, um, you can, you can develop the propositional knowledge of a procedure, right? You can read the manual. You can watch the videos about how to land a plane on an aircraft carrier. And you can say, I understand intellectually that this goes first and this goes second and this goes third. Right. But you don't understand it. Um, you don't have a sensorial understanding mm -hmm. of it, right? You don't literally know how it feels in your hands, in your gut, in your, and we're talking about aircraft here, right? Like the G-forces, <laughs> you don't intellectually understand G-forces. You just got to feel them, you know? Um, and so um, I guess it makes me think a little bit about shadowing. I would imagine they don't let someone land a plane for the first time on an aircraft carrier without ever having been in a plane on an aircraft carrier. <laughs> I don't really know, but I'm guessing like maybe maybe ride shotgun the first time and let this guy do it because he's done it <laughs> 10 times and he's still alive, you know? Yeah. And so you start to get some of those procedural uh, awarenesses, those sensory, physical, you know, awarenesses of it. And you, you gain a little bit of that confidence. Like, all right, I've been in a plane which has landed several times and I'm still not dead. <laughs> and I understand it a little bit better now. So maybe I can maybe I can give it a shot with you riding shotgun, you know, uh, an experienced pilot to help me land this thing. I'm totally making this shit up. No, I have no, no, no idea no. how they do this. But no, this actually fits into something else that I, I was thinking about. There's this Columbia Teachers College um, uh, concept that's uh, the gradual release of responsibility. It's called right, and uh, you know it's it's um, how does it go? It's watch me do it. Now I will watch you do it, like sort of by your side, or we'll, no, 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 we'll do it together. Now I will watch you do it and sort of monitor how you do it, and then you will do it on your own. Right? It's just that there are probably like thirty thousand levels of that in you know landing a plane on aircraft carrier um you know where there and i can i can even picture like there are those simulators right where you're in a simulator plane you're not actually off the ground but they're you know you're wearing vr glasses and there's all kinds of sensory stuff going on to sort of mimic the experience but reduce the risk right and you sort of gradually move up and up and up and up and up and up and up. But there's still, and I don't want this to be what the whole podcast is about, but there still is a moment where you haven't done it and then you do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the leap of faith. You know, that's that moment. Well, so let me say two quick things about that. And then maybe we should start wrapping it up. Um, I, I love what you said. I totally agree with it. And I think the perspectival 
knowledge comes in in layers, right? Because it's about context, it's about that rule set. And I think what perspectival knowledge gives, what, the way that we, the word we use for perspectival knowledge most often is experience and intuition. And you build those things by doing something over and over and over in some, you know, slightly different settings. I mean, every situation is going to be a little different. And so every situation you discover something more and that, that rule book that you've created for that particular game gets bigger and bigger and ever more layered and, and, and nuanced. Right. Um, uh, you know, you, you land it once and it's fine. You land it the second time and it was a little bit windy that day. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's new. I, I have a new layer of information you landed, a, you know, again, and your hook didn't work this time. Like, Oh crap. You know? So that was another thing you had to deal with. And, um, the more you, the more you land it, the first time you land it, you now have a, a certain level of participatory knowledge because now you're a guy who landed a plane, an air, you know, a fighter jet on an aircraft carrier. You're part of a very small club, right? Yes. You do it 10 times. And now you're a guy who's landed it successfully 10 times, right? And that's an even smaller club. And you do it a hundred times and no one's ever done that. Now you are the most experienced person at X. And so what I think you get from participatory knowledge is a sense of, of belonging, right? I'm now part of this tribe, but also a sense of confidence. I yeah. am one of these people. This is the kind of person that I am who is able to do these things. Yeah, no, that's, that's deep. And that, that confidence, I mean, we should have a whole podcast on confidence. That confidence is really just like, I know I can do this and I have all kinds of knowledge that I could not even write down on a piece of paper because I don't even quite understand it. That is all about sensory experiences that are super subtle. You know, like how do you battle your fears? You know, that maybe doesn't even come up in the training, right? But like becomes a part I mean, that's actually a huge one in surfing is uh, like the, the battling of demons um, mm. because it's scary, you know, on, on not even that big days. It's scary. Like you're thinking about sharks. You're thinking about rocks. You're thinking about um, getting crushed. You're thinking about drowning, you know, and you've got to sort of like tamp down all those things. And you're thinking about them all the time. You've got to tamp down all those things not only in order to be able to focus on what matters, like actually doing what you're out there to do, but also because it is literally more dangerous if you are focused on those things because you start to panic, you breathe shallower. And if you breathe shallower, you have less strength, which you're going to need in that hairy moment, right? And you have less air, which you're going to need in that hairy moment. So like, you know, you've got to find a way to sort of tame those fears. Anyway, fears is a whole another thing to talk about. But I love this. I think this is, I think it's pretty self-evident how this connects to learning at work. But do you want to kind of put a finer point on that? I guess the the thing that is that I'm coming away from this with is that I wish the perspectival and participatory knowledge got a little more respect yeah. in the world of workplace learning. I feel like we're sort of fiddling with the basics and thinking that's enough, that that's what humans need. You know, here's a slide deck with a bunch of information in it. 
Here's an e-learning module that shows you how to go through this particular process. And there are times when that's, that's what's needed, right? I don't need to think about my identity. I just need to know how to build this pivot table. Okay, fine. But there's a tremendous amount of inefficiency and churn and frustration that ultimately leads to a, you know, a loss of impact, a loss of productivity, because we're ignoring the perspectival and participatory kinds of knowledge that could really unleash a, a company. I think that is so right on, but I think the word of the day for this is stickiness, right? You can teach somebody the facts, you can teach somebody the process, but when they walk away, it's just going to fall right out of their ear if there is no perspectival and participatory piece to it, right? I mean, the, the classic like teacher training when I was a teacher would be that somebody would come in from the outside and you'd have two days of workshop and they would go all in on propositional knowledge and procedural knowledge. And then you'd go back to your classroom and be like, I don't know how to fit this into this, fit that into this, you know? And, and so you'd go, eh, and it would just disappear. Like you, you wouldn't do it. Right. And because there was really no time spent on like, okay, what goes on in your classroom? Let's talk about the situations and context where this might come up. Let's talk about what we all have in common in terms of, you know, this sort of thing. And that's the perspectival participatory. So I think you're right. In most training, you know, trainers lean on propositional and procedural. And it's not that they don't get their point across. It's not that they don't, it's not that people don't learn it. It just doesn't stick without the other two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it at that. If you want more stickiness, understand the four P's. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for talking about this. I appreciate your help. Yeah. Thanks, Gabe. Well, there you have it. Another episode of Jobs to Journeys. I hope you found it fun and insightful. If you want to learn more about how to turn your jobs into journeys, visit us on the web at cultivateme.xyz or send an email to hello at cultivateme.xyz. Be well, and I'll see you in the next episode.